Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a four-week teaching series called Generous Living. Together, we're learning to manage our money well so we can live a generous life. Thanks for listening. Well, like many of you, I wear glasses or contacts every day. Now, I don't know the reason you do, if you do, but the reason I do is because I have what eye doctors call myopia. That means I'm nearsighted. If I take these off right now, I, you're blurry. You're definitely blurry. <laughs> I can see near, but I can't see far away. And there's more than one way to have myopia. And Jesus wants to address our spiritual myopia in the passage we're going to look at today. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. We'll actually read a couple verses past that. And I want to talk to you today about having a perspective, a perspective, how we see things, uh, how far we see. And uh, if while you're doing that, you can also fill out the first line of the message notes or follow along with me. Here's what it is. Without an eternal perspective, we live nearsighted. Without an eternal perspective, we live nearsighted. We're in a series of messages right now called Generous Living. And we've been talking about this whole subject, and today I want to talk to you about perspective. We've been looking at what keeps us from being generous people. I mean, there's things, there's challenges to that, isn't there? And so the first week we saw that debt can keep us from being generous. The second week we saw that not having any kind of plan, just living by the seat of our pants can keep us from being generous. Last week, Steve helped us see that hoarding or different forms of greed can keep us from becoming generous people. And today we want to talk about the fact that if we don't have a perspective that sees very far, we won't be generous. There's something about an eternal perspective. Here's the series sentence we've been reading each week. Do you mind reading it with me? We want to manage money well so we can live a generous life. Now, why is this so important? I don't know if you've thought about this, but God has a plan for our church. He has a dream for us individually and together. He has a mission that if we will choose to accept it and we'll live into it, it can not only shape and transform our character, but it can touch our community. And it can ripple for eternity. And Jesus wants us to see this. And he wants us to see it clearly. And he wants us to have an eternal perspective. And so as we think about these different things, um, I don't know uh, if you've heard this before. Maybe you're newer. But a few years ago, we found out some more information about our community. Would you be interested to know what research shows the top five concerns are of people in our community? Here they are, right here is the list. Number one, long-term financial security. Number two, maintaining personal health. Number three, dealing with stress. Number four, finding health insurance. And number five, daily financial worries. I see two out of five that have to do just with money there. 
So if you ask me, this subject is as relevant as anything because what God wants to teach us is he wants to help us become wiser in this so that it's not just constantly beating us up or constantly making us worry all the time. He wants to teach us how to manage money well. There's several things I'm thankful for as a pastor that I've had the privilege of being part of. And one of them is teaching almost every year on this subject of how do we manage money wiser and getting better at it each year so that we keep growing in Christ-like character. So uh, here's, here's something that Billy Graham said that I think is very interesting. If a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will straighten out almost every other area of his life. Jesus is going to say the same thing in this passage we're going to look at today. So as we think about this together, one of the things we've got to ask ourselves is, how far away are we seeing? One of the challenges of being from a rich nation like we are is that we stop seeing far away. I was reading this week uh, this story For his first sermon in an elementary preaching class, Lawrence, an African student, chose a text describing the joys we'll share when Christ returns and ushers us to our heavenly home. Here's what he said. I've been in the United States for several months now, he began. I've seen the great wealth that is here, the fine homes and cars and clothes. I've listened to many sermons in churches here too, but I've yet to hear one sermon about heaven because everyone has so much in this country No one preaches about heaven. People here don't seem to need it. In my country, people have very little. So we preach on heaven all the time. We know how much we need it. And I wonder if the Lord wants to remind us again that we need to see farther. We need to realize this is not our home. We're just passing through. The question is, is our treasure laid up somewhere beyond the blue? Or is it laid up here? Let's pray. Now, Lord, as we consider your treasure management strategies, thank you that you are the ultimate investment broker. I pray that we'll learn what you want us to learn today and that we'll move, we'll live into what you want for us, the dream you have for us individually and as a church family. And we pray that as a result, people will be blessed and you will be glorified. And you will teach us what real joy is about. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if we look at this, uh, let me read uh, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 23. And I'm going to ask you to read verse 20 and 21 when we get to it there in those gray boxes on the notes. So here we go. Here's what Jesus said. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust and vermin, excuse me, destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, would you read uh, with me verse 20? But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21 is the next gray box. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, he goes on, and he, he actually says a couple verses that if you've ever read them, they're kind of, you kind of, in our context today, we wonder what they mean. So here's what he says. The eye, verse 22, is the lamp of the body. He's talking more about our eyesight again. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, some people go like, why is he saying all this stuff? Well, some of you have the New International Version Bibles, and if you do, you'll notice in the footnote there, down in verse 22, the Greek for healthy here implies generous. And in verse 23, the Greek for unhealthy here implies stingy. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, if you walk around and your eyesight is generous, it'll light up your whole body. You will, you will see the world. You will live differently. It will light up your life. But if you walk around with stingy eyes and all you see is opportunities to just keep and protect and be stingy, the light in you will turn to darkness. That's fascinating what Jesus knows about us. And so he's just saying, look, I'm appealing to you. I'm reasoning with you. You've got to decide when money or possessions come into your hands, what are you going to do with them? How, how are you going to look at them? Are you going to look at them with generous eyes? Are you going to look at them with stingy eyes? Like, how are you going to look? And I hope that you see in this passage, as we look at this for the next few minutes, I hope you see that more than Jesus wanting something from us, he wants something for us. Jesus is teaching this. He's saying, play it all the way out. I'm not lying to you. Other people may lie to you about what money can do. I'm not lying to you. Play it all the way out. You decide, what are you going to do? So let's look at this together. Investment strategy number one. By the way, a treasure, if you're just wondering what's, what's treasure, here's a, here's a definition. Anything of great value. So whatever you value is your treasure. Whatever you think is valuable is your treasure or my treasure. So he's saying, look, when you get treasure, anything of value comes into your hands, what are you going to do? How are you going to manage it? And again, Jesus says there's ways to invest it either way. There's ways to spend it, use it, invest it. So here it is. Investment strategy number one. Store or stack it up on earth. Store or stack it up on earth. The idea here is to pile it up, to stockpile it up. I, I once did a funeral for a woman out in Iowa who I didn't really know very well. I knew her husband more than I knew her. And, uh, but I listened at the meal afterwards as the family talked about what gave her the greatest joy. I've never forgotten this. They said, you know what gave her the greatest joy was stacking CDs. And she didn't, they didn't mean music CDs. They meant certificates of deposit in her bank. So she liked to pull those out and just stack them. It made her feel powerful. Now, there's nothing wrong with saving and investing. We already talked about this as far as having a plan. But if that's what gives you your greatest joy, then you're seeing... An earthly perspective that just says, I'm going to stack it up here. Notice this, that Jesus says, here's, here's why. Think this out. Think this with me. Earthly treasures, if you're following along, aren't bad. They just don't last. Earthly treasures aren't bad. They just don't last. Please don't hear. I think sometimes people think the Christian life says, those are bad. If you enjoy them, what are you doing? And the Bible says, no, 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 don't go extreme like that. 1 Timothy 4.4 4 that I lift out to the right says, God's given us everything for our enjoyment. It's a tragic to me how we don't enjoy a good meal. We don't enjoy an opportunity. We don't enjoy material things. Look, it's, it's proper to enjoy material things. Worship them? No. Enjoy them? Yes. So if you find yourself enjoying it, God's not against that. He's not saying it's not bad. 
It's just, just always remind yourself that as much pleasure and joy as any material thing ever brings to you and me, it's not going to last. I've told this story before, but when I was in high school, I was making quite a bit of money working at a grocery store, and so I was responsible for buying my own clothes, and this is when designer jeans came on the scene. So I saw a pair in a store once that had braids down the side, and I decided I'm going to buy them, and I looked like Antonio Banderas. <laughs> in my mind. <clears throat> And I probably wore those 20 times. I do not know where they are now. They were fun while they lasted, but, you know, they were pretty expensive for that. And I just, hmm, I just thought they didn't last. There's more stories I could tell. You've probably had things like that. Trish and I, one of our first cars we ever bought was a used car, a one-car owner that only had it for a short period of time. And this person had ordered a special paint on their car, and we just, we drove it home, and we just appreciated it. I just looked at it a lot and just enjoyed it. And then a kid in our neighborhood decided to do this with a key. And I didn't enjoy that. And I remember thinking, it's vulnerable. Huh. Hmm. And, you know, those are, the, those are the realities we live with. So Jesus said, just think through. What do you want to do? Do you want to do something that lasts that long? You only see that far? Or is it possible that there's some ways to do things with your possessions and money that last longer? Hmm. That's investment strategy number one. Also, here he says, Jesus says this, if you're following along, choosing this strategy isn't simply wrong, it's foolish. Choosing this strategy isn't simply wrong, it's foolish. Let's just review again what Steve taught us last week. Look here at Luke 12. Look at, what, look at the words that come out and see if you notice words that, that stand out based on what we've already read. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, stacking them up. And then he told in this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? That's always a good question, by the way. I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I'll store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever, I get this next phrase, stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So there's this danger of becoming foolish. Jesus said, by the way, if you were able to gain the whole world, like if you were to possess every possession that was ever possessible, if you were to be the richest person that ever lived, if you were to gain it all, but lose your soul, is that a good trade? Jesus says, no. There's something corrupting that can happen when we begin to worship or see earthly things as only here to store up and stack up. Something there. I think many of you have heard the famous story of John D. Rockefeller's accountant in 1937. John D. Rockefeller was the first billionaire in history. And when his accountant was asked by reporters, well, how much did he leave? The accountant said, he left it all, every last dime. We can't take it with us. 
We can't take it with us. It doesn't last. Jesus says, play it out. I want to reason with you. That's one way. If you decide, you can do that. And it's fun for a while. It just doesn't last. Second, investment strategy number two, store or stack it up in heaven. Store or stack it up in heaven. Now, Jesus is saying there is actually a way that you can, you can transfer this. You can convert it to something where it has more value, long-lasting value. And again, it, what's interesting to a lot of people, this makes some Christians choke, but he says, store up for yourself in both cases. So the question is not against storing up. It's where are you going to store it? Where are you going to... Where are you going to accumulate it? Are you going to accumulate it in a place here where it's vulnerable, won't last? Or are you going to accumulate it in a place that will last longer? Do you have myopia or do you see farther? And notice this, that it goes on. You can't take it with you, as we just talked about. You can't take it with you, but if you're following along, you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you. That's so true. But you can send it on ahead. And I don't know about you, but this is really good news for the bad news. Because a lot of us go, hmm, I was kind of hoping I could take it with me, or I was kind of hoping it would last longer, but you can send it on ahead. Randy Alcorn calls this the treasure principle. He gives this, these couple illustrations. Imagine you're alive at the end of the Civil War. You're living in the South, but you're a northerner. You plan to move home as soon as the war is over, and while in the South, you've accumulated lots of Confederate currency. Now suppose you know for a fact that the North is going to win the war and the end is imminent. What will you do with your Confederate money? If you're smart, there's only one answer. You should immediately cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency, the only money that will have value once the war is over. Keep only enough Confederate currency to meet your short-term needs. As a Christian, you have inside knowledge of an eventual worldwide upheaval caused by Christ's return. This is the ultimate insider trading tip. Earth's currency will become worthless when Christ returns or when you die, whichever comes first, and either event could happen at any time. So he's saying, look, if you want to hold on to it, it's going to eventually become worthless. But you can do something ahead of time that will convert it, that will translate it into more value. And then he gives this illustration. He says, where we choose to store our treasures depends largely on where we think our home is. Suppose your home is in France and you're visiting America for three months living in a hotel. You're told that you can't bring anything back to France on your flight home, but you can earn money and mail deposits to your bank in France. Would you fill your hotel room with expensive furniture and wall hangings? Of course not. You'd send your money where your home is. You would spend only what you needed on the temporary residence, sending your treasures ahead so they'd be waiting for you when you got home. Different perspective, isn't it? It's seeing farther. And Jesus says, think it out. And if you're following along, here's what also Jesus is saying in this passage. Make deposits in an account you can't lose. Make deposits in an account you can't lose. Look at what A.W. Tozer says about this. This is fascinating. He was a pastor in Chicago. As base a thing as money often is, it yet can be transformed into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. 
It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men and women to the light of the gospel and thus transform itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Amazing thing. When uh, I was younger, my dad encouraged me to read a book on the life of a missionary named Jim Elliott. Some of you may have heard his name, but in 1956, he and four other men were martyred trying to share the gospel with a group of people at that time known as the Alka Indians in South America. And they were all killed trying to do that. Fortunately, afterwards, Jim Elliott's wife, daughter, and one of the pilots uh, sisters went in and they were responsive to the women and they eventually all accepted Christ and explained later why they killed those men. But what Jim Elliott wrote in his journal before he ever died is very powerful. Look at this sentence. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We've been saying, here's our vision, to see people of every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. Such a person is no fool. They cannot lose. They cannot lose. Ultimately, we cannot if we do that. And so Jesus teaches here these things that there's actually an account. In fact, would you read in that third grade box where he talks about the fact that you can actually have this kind of purser account. Read with it. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Now I want you to look at that verse closely with me. Does it say, sell all your possessions? No. Jesus only said that once to one specific person who on that particular day needed to hear that. But did Jesus ever say to everybody, sell all your possessions? No. But did he say, sell your possessions? Yeah. He said, look, here's a, here's a way of thinking. There's some possessions that you can offload that can either benefit someone else more that needs it, or by doing that, you become lighter in some ways and you can do some other things. In other words, think outside the box. Think farther than you're thinking. And the early church, this is what they did. I like how it says it. From time to time, people would sell a possession or sell a piece of property or do something to help people in time of need. They saw opportunities and they understood that when they were doing that, that was strategic. That wasn't an accident, but they, they looked at their property and possessions and money differently. And you and I can too. And Jesus is appealing for us to do this. But notice also, in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian Christians, look at what he says about an account. Look at this, Philippians 4, 16 through 18. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. He was planting churches. He was sharing the gospel in places where they'd never heard about Jesus. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. 
They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He's saying, look, you're investing in something that's going to last for a lot longer than just helping me right now. It's touching people for eternity. It's going to last longer than that. So have this eternal perspective. So how can we live with an eternal perspective? Let me just stop and say this. Every year, I look at my finances at the end of the year. Maybe you do too. When I go to turn in my, uh, again, my taxes uh, to the accountant, I look over all that Trish and I have given and or how we've invested the money that God's given us. And I get a chance to see how much I've made. I get a chance to see how much I've given. Maybe you've done this too. And one of the things I try and ask myself every year is, am I growing? Am I growing? Is my heart getting bigger or is it getting more stingy? Is my eye getting more stingy or am I getting more generous? Am I looking at my stuff with a growing attitude and a growing heart? Am I living generously or am I just living from month to month? And so it's a challenge. And the thing is, is that when you think about this subject, here's what I hope will happen. I hope you're asking yourself, am I growing? Am I, for you, it might look different than it looked for me. But yesterday, Trish and I reviewed the countries that we've been able to invest in, even locally, how we've been able to invest. And we've been just trying to think of that eternal perspective rather than just thinking now. And it really, it gave us great joy. To we hadn't ever just thought about it all together. And it helped us to see that. So here's just some things, living with an eternal perspective. Your strategy, according to this, Jesus says, your strategy reveals what your heart wants more. Your strategy reveals what your heart wants more. See, here's what happens. Wherever you send your money or your possessions, if you ever notice, your heart follows. So every once in a while, people say, well, I'm just not very interested in God's work. I bet if you started giving to it, it would be. See, it's just like an arrow points north on a compass. Your heart will always follow. Jesus is saying, look, whatever you want the most is where your treasure is, and your heart will always follow. Where do you want your heart to be? Do you want it to be mainly earthbound, or do you want it to be heavenbound? Where do you want it? So just know that. And it's been a real check for me to know what do I, it doesn't matter what I say I want. What I really want is always where I invest my possessions and money. Notice this, you can invest no matter how little you have or how young you are. No matter how little you have or no matter how young you are. Um, some of you know that one of the reasons we're sitting in this room is that 14 years ago, uh, the, about five or about six or seven hundred of us were a part of Cherry Hills then, <clears throat> and um, we knew that we were landlocked with three services. We were packed. We had no more room, so we felt like we needed to come out here and make more room so that again, uh, people, maybe some of you are, are are newer to our church, and so we just all said, okay, what can we? No, no arm twisting, but. We invited every person, if you'd be willing, to consider what, what would God want you to give over and above what you're already giving? Is he asking you to be involved? How would he ask you to be involved? And so anyway, one of the things that I'm holding here is a letter from a nine-year-old kid that I've never forgotten. I never found out who this person is. I, I know that right now they'd be 23 years old. So maybe you're in this room. But this was written to me. And again, there's a lot of interesting spelling but it says, <clears throat> you may share this if you wish, but I would like to stay unknown. Thank you. I think they meant unknown. Last night at the dinner table, I wanted very badly to know about the church and how much money we would need to raise for the new building fund. 
I asked lots of things, and when I was done, I said to my dad I would like 10 or 15 minutes in my room. I sat at my desk thinking, wanting to give with all my heart. I knew most people gave 10%, but I wanted to give more. I wasn't trying to top anyone, they said in parentheses. So I sat down and prayed. I prayed about how very little I knew I could give. I said to God, you do know my tiny amount of money isn't going to help. But God said over and over, give. It will help even if it is a small amount. So as the offering plate passed by, I put in my small amount. Being nine years old, you aren't very rich. And as I set it down, God said to me, you helped all you could. So I was happy for the rest of the day. I knew I had done very little to help the church, but deep down, God kept saying, you helped much. In Christ, and then they write this word, private. <laughs> and then it says, P.S., I knew I did the right thing. I've never forgotten that. They looked farther. And I think of all the things that have happened in this room and on this campus. If you've ever been touched, that boy invested in you and me. Jesus also says, let me remind, let me renew your mind if you're following along so you ask wiser questions. Let me renew your mind so you ask wiser and better questions. I was struck by one of our students. A few years ago, we decided to give to Fresh Visions Community Church. I think it was three years ago now. And one of our students, as they got to their birthday, they just began to say, what do I want to do for my birthday? And they asked a better question than I've asked sometimes on my birthday. They said, what if instead of birthday presents and birthday money, I asked all my friends and family to help me give to Fresh Visions Community Church so they could build their church building? And when Pastor Roy Newman got an envelope with a letter of several hundred dollars, he called me and said, you're not going to believe this. And I was blown away because one of our students asked better and wiser questions than how can I just get more stuff for my birthday? Now, is it wrong to get things for our birthday? Is it wrong to enjoy it? No. But is it short-sighted compared to far-sighted? Probably. And so there's just this way of looking at things that was just different. And I'm going to talk more about this in just a little bit beyond just church buildings. Please hear me. But notice this is give yourself first to me, Jesus says, then to others as I lead you. Give yourself first to me, then to others as I lead you. See, the truth is we can't do everything. But the question is, have I given myself to the Lord? Do I realize that everything I have has been given to me by the Lord? It's his. I belong to him. I'm his money manager. I'm not, it's not mine. Not if I belong to Christ. And so do I, am I asking Christ, lead me, show me. No, some of us go, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go there. I have some plans. I'll do it later. But he says, no, come on, let me show you. Because if you still have a stingy eye, you'll not be as wise as I can help you be. 
You'll miss out on some of the joys that you can know. And so here's this last thing. Whatever you give to me will increase in value. Whatever you give to me, Jesus says, will increase in value. And out to the right, I list two different stories from the New Testament. The first one is about a woman, Mark 14. We know from John 12 that it was Mary of Bethany. She took a very expensive jar of a perfume and she broke it so there was no going back and she poured it out all over Jesus. And what did other Jesus followers say that moment? What a waste. That's how we think if we have myopia. And Jesus goes, leave her alone. They also said, you could give that to the poor, and so it sounded very spiritual what they were saying. Jesus said, leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing to me. If you want to help the poor, you'll always have the poor with you, so you can always do that, but you won't always have me. I'm about to leave this earth. He says, and here's what I want to tell you. From now on, what this woman has done, wherever the gospel is told throughout the world, will be told in memory of her. Now, let me just ask you, 2,000 years later, was it a waste? That gift has inspired more people down through the centuries to follow her lead and opened hard hearts and stingy hearts and giving them a generous eye. Oh my gosh, it's still rippling and it's going to ripple into eternity. The other story I have there is a story of the little boy that handed Jesus five loaves and two fish, his lunch. And when it got into Jesus' hands, it fed 5,000 people plus women and children he couldn't have seen that far, but he saw far enough to give it to Jesus. And that has, I can't tell you how many times that little boy's example has touched my heart, even when I was a little boy and now even as a man. And it's still rippling. You see, when these people did this, they saw and Jesus helped them see farther. And you and I can be this way too. So how do we do this? If you turn your notes over to the back, I just wanted to list some examples. And I put this, again, you guys know I'm not a health, wealth, prosperity preacher, but notice that Jesus' interest rate is 10,000%. I kind of like that better than, than I'm getting in my bank right now. But I guess what I want to say is this. Here's, here's why I get this. He says, whoever has given up homes or possessions or left their families or done hard things to serve me, they'll receive a hundred times as more in the next life. What Jesus is saying, you're not a fool if you follow me and you trust me in this way. And so that's 10,000% interest, pretty amazing. But notice, here's some, just some examples. Notice that Jesus says, if you give in secret, it'll be rewarded, not for people's applause or show. It's a real motive check, by the way. Giving spontaneously I love the fact that it says from time to time, Acts 4, people would give. Uh, I love how they gave in times of crisis. Even a cup of cold water spontaneously, Jesus says, you won't lose your reward. Giving to the poor. There's some people in this room that have invested themselves in health care and medical treatment for people in other countries and including our country as well. And giving to the poor, and there's all kinds of examples there but also giving to the orphan and widow. I want you to notice that out to the right, I've listed 1 Peter, 1 Timothy 5, excuse me. And here's what I want to say about this. It talks about the fact that when you help widows as a church, you're not supposed to help every widow. There are some widows that their families can take care of them. 
So it says the church should help widows who are truly in need. What is that saying? There's boundaries to this. The benevolence team has read a book called When Helping Hurts. Years ago, when I was teaching on money, I had a note from someone that said, would you please talk about proper boundaries? There are times when family members give or people give to friends and they enable them rather than help them because they keep getting them sicker rather than really helping. So when is the right time to give and when is it not? There needs to be discernment. And so again, you and I know that God doesn't just want us to give to anything that looks like this or that. He wants us to pray. He wants to give ourselves first to him and then let us lead, let him lead us. But again, know that, that the orphan, the widow is powerful. Some of you are involved in sponsorships to Amigos in Cristo or Compassion International or World Vision or different things like that. Very important. Giving to your local church. You already know that if you give to our church, at least 20% of that goes beyond our walls to at least 12 different nations and many other local partnerships. And so that's one other way you can multiply your giving. Giving so that others hear the gospel. Giving to those who need justice and mercy, protecting the unborn, rescuing those in slavery or sex trafficking, those that have been unjustly convicted or sentenced. Giving to church planting. There's a couple in our church that just got back from India a few months ago, and they were able to invest just for a a small amount of money, build many different churches in India. We're now because the gospel is spreading so fast in that country, despite persecution. And they were excited about that. Notice giving to translate or distribute Bibles, giving food, clothing, and shelter. These in so many more ways are ways we can glorify God and edify others. Now, if you turn your notes back over, I want to just say a couple things to you as we wrap things up here. I was told that this book is now sold out in the resource center in the lobby there. Uh, But this is one of the best books I've ever read. Yesterday, Trish and I had several hours in the car. So I asked her, this book is just filled with lots of stories. So I asked her to read all the stories to me since we had time. And as she got done reading this, here's what she said to me. She said, tell people they need to read this book tomorrow. Okay. Now, if any of you know my wife, you know she's pretty gentle-spirited, so I thought, now I don't get a lot of instructions like that from her, but I'm supposed to tell you to read this book if you can. Here's why. This is really helpful. really helps you see farther. Anyway, along with that, in the resource area, there's this piece of paper you can pick up that just has all kinds of help. We have right now media sessions that you could watch if you want to learn more. There's websites. There's books that you can order or look at. There's apps. There's people in our church that will offer to help you, uh, meet with you, if you're willing to email them. But let me just read to you a couple stories here. Jack Alexander says, our giving went to a whole nother level when one day I got my first bonus ever. It was $5,000. I organized a dinner at Wendy's with Lisa and my two little boys to tell them. When he shared the news with his family, Lisa responded, you won't believe what happened today. She said they had received a letter from a nurse in Sudan who needed to buy a Jeep. The cost of that vehicle, $5,000. Jack's initial response was, no. (laughs) But Lisa said these faithful words, fateful words, will you pray about it? God met me in that prayer and he showed me two things, Jack says. First, he showed me the value of probably hundreds of kids who could get inoculations and people who could get helped. I was just overwhelmed with what a great investment it was to give that money away. 
The second thing I really knew was from the Holy Spirit because I got this overwhelming sense. This was a privilege that God had chosen us to do it and join his work, and we gave the money away. And here's the one that I wanted to close with as we think about the last line of the notes in a moment. A South African pastor stood in line at a convenience store in New Orleans and noticed a family who didn't have enough money to pay for their few items. He touched the father's shoulder and asked him not to turn around, then handed him money to pay his bill. Nine years later, that same pastor was in New Orleans again as a guest speaker. Afterward, a man walked up to him and shared how he'd come to know Christ. Years ago, he, his wife, and their child were completely destitute. Intending to take their lives together, they drove to a cliff. But they decided they wanted to give their child one last meal before they all died. Standing in the store line, he realized the items for the meal cost more than they had. The man behind him said to please take the money from his hand, but not to turn to look at him. Then he said, Jesus loves you. They drove back to the cliff and wept for hours before driving away. They couldn't go through with suicide. The next Sunday, they attended a church displaying a Jesus loves you sign. Nearly a decade later, the man told the South African pastor that when he heard him speak that day, he immediately recognized his distinctive voice and accent. Through a small act of kindness in that store and the words, Jesus loves you, God used that pastor to save three lives and draw the family to a church where they surrender their lives to Christ. So the question on the table as we close, close here is this. Am I storing up treasure here or there? Am I storing up treasure here or there? Here's what Randy Alcorn says. Where we choose to store our treasures depends largely on where we think our home is. Where's your home? Has, by God's grace, Jesus set you free and saved you and given you an eternity in heaven? If so, you are no fool. If you give what you cannot ultimately keep to gain what you cannot ultimately lose. And so here's the simple thing. This week, is there one way you can look at things you do or things you have differently? I know some people that say, if I just do coffee one time a week instead of as many times as I do it, that same money could go to help a missionary. Or if I just did this, I could begin accumulating that and sending that to some other ministry, or I could do this or that. In other words, it all depends on how you see. Are you myopic, or do you see farther? Jesus is the ultimate stockbroker. Let's invest in eternity. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.